In the holy name of Jesus, amen. On the very first day, in my very first parish, a woman came to me and said, you can pretty much say whatever you want in this congregation, but if you preach about divorce, that will be the end of you, because almost all of us have been divorced and are remarried. Since then, over the years, all sorts of parishioners have been kind enough to follow her lead and add all sorts of things to my do not preach list. For example, say whatever you want, but at the funeral, don't call my husband a sinner. He was a good man, and nobody should say otherwise, especially at a time like this. Or, Enough of that now. All you pastors ever preach about is money. Or, if you don't finally come down hard on him this year on Right to Life Sunday, we are leaving the congregation. And they did. The trouble with a do not preach list, of course, is that Jesus spends an awful lot of time talking about men who are sinners and money, and mercy, and even divorce, as he does in the gospel appointed for this day, 20 Sundays after Pentecost. And thus I have no choice. I'm a pastor, and I wear a collar for the same reason a dog wears a collar. I belong to my master. But what do I do with this text? Because you would not be here this morning if you were not faithfully trying to get it right. And if you have been divorced, it's probably very painful for you to hear Jesus talk this way. And quite frankly, I like you, and I do not wish to hurt you. So as your pastor, what is it that I am to do? On the one hand, if we come to this as smug Sunday, as in, we all who haven't been divorced can be smug, rather than the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, then we certainly have it wrong. That is just another way of saying that your particular sins are worse than my particular sins. But on the other hand, if we dodge the question of divorce altogether, after Jesus has spoken about it so forcefully in the text marked for today, that is not being faithful either. When Jesus was asked, Jesus did not dodge. So how do we go forward together with both integrity and compassion? We might start by seeing that this is a tremendously complicated text. It is not just that the Greek is a bit difficult and that social milieu was a bit confusing. It is partly because of our own reality. While divorce is a very public thing, all the reasons for any given divorce usually are not. 
And so most folks who speculate about the reasons for any particular divorce are wrong. It is also complicated because of our practice. We do, in fact, have many divorced folks in this congregation. And sometimes we do allow repentant, divorced individuals to remarry within the church. And it is also complicated by what we know about Jesus himself. If divorce is a sin, and Jesus forgives sins, then don't repentant divorcees get a fresh start from him. And if they get a fresh start from him, shouldn't they get a fresh start from us? How shall we proceed? Let's try this. I would like to start somewhere beyond the specifics of divorce. First, because I only have 12 minutes. Second, because I have taken this up several times in Bible study since I have been here when I had much more time. And third, and most importantly, because divorce is a symptom, not a disease. I would like to start beyond the specifics of divorce because divorce is a symptom and not a disease. If you read carefully what Jesus has to say in verse 5, Jesus says that divorce is a symptom of something bigger, something that Jesus calls sclerocardia, hard-heartedness. That is a very bad thing, especially in Scripture, because in Scripture, all that you think and all that you do and all that you feel is located in your heart. In Scripture, your brain and your gut and your hand are all balled up together in your heart. It is a very easy way to picture yourself. You are one person, head and hand and heart, and everything in you is meant to pull in the same direction, God's direction. As when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that is total commitment from hand and head and heart. So divorce is a symptom of a hardness there that somebody is not doing as he or she ought. It might be the husband, it might be the wife, it might be both. And now an aside and just a little bit of free advice. Unless you have been put into place as a mediator under the auspices of Matthew 18, the way that Jesus teaches us to deal with sin in our midst, and unless you have the spiritual moxie to see something this painful through to the end, keep yourself pure and do not speculate on the ins and outs of somebody else's tragedy. That said, back to verse 5. 
if you not only read carefully what Jesus has said, if you also think carefully about what he is saying, you will see very quickly that we all exhibit the symptoms of hard-heartedness. Pick your sin, lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping, envying, miserliness, sloth. What's yours? And what's mine? So much for being smug this Sunday. We are all infected, and we are all symptomatic. Once we are all infected, it all goes bad. In the most literal terms, a hard heart is rough and dry. It is more bone than flesh. A hard heart means you cannot see and you cannot hear and you cannot understand what God intends for you. So you really can't choose and you really can't love and you really can't do the right thing. Most of all, a hard heart means that you are turned in upon yourself, that you are only open to your own feelings and your own ways and your own desires but you are closed to God and closed to others. No wonder people with hard hearts lie and cheat and steal and envy and gossip and are miserly. No wonder they don't pull their weight. No wonder at times they even divorce. The other side of all of that is the gospel side. It is what the Lord has been trying to do for us here for the last couple of months. The Lord has been trying to build us into a community. The Lord has been trying to have us as his church. The Lord has been trying to draw us into his way of doing things, not ours. The Lord has been trying to soften us up and to open our hearts both to him and to each other to love us into loving each other, to love us into being his instruments, to be workers that would work his plan, all for the life of the world that he came to save. In these past few months, Jesus has been very clear about what he wants. What he wants is a rich, thick, dense church one that is eschatological, that lives from the end times back. One that is sacramental, that sees the bodily presence of Jesus Christ in this community. One that hates secrecy and loves honesty, with the litmus test being that whatever comes to the light would flourish. One that is overflowing with acts of mercy. One that is good great at giving a winsome witness to those who've never heard about Christ. One that will do the things that nobody else will do and love the ones that nobody else will love. Even those who are symptomatic. Even those who lie and cheat and steal and envy and gossip and are miserly. And even those who divorce who at the end of the day turn out to be persons just like you and just like me, broken people who are just yearning to be whole.
we should not be surprised that Jesus talks very specifically about divorce. We should have been surprised if Jesus did not. After all, in Jesus' day, when some rabbis taught that a man could divorce his wife if he found anything at all objectionable in her, and so he could divorce his wife for the most trivial of reasons. And divorcing a wife meant that she and the children often went hungry, since women rarely owned anything, and there was no developed social structure. What you hear in Jesus' stern words today about divorce also put him squarely on the side of the weak and the poor, on the side of women and children, on the side of those who most need your love and most need your mercy. They also put him on the side of his heavenly Father, who made us an Eden, who put you who are married together at his altar just the way he put Adam and Eve together in the garden. And Jesus does have the very stern warning that you should not undo the work that God has done. And so with that, we come full circle. We work our way back all the way from the symptoms to the disease, hard-heartedness, but we find that by nature we are all in the same boat, none better than others, all sinners, all infected, all hard-hearted, all symptomatic in one way or another, so no reason for anybody to be proud nor to be smug, but also good news. The Lord loves us all back, and the Lord does have standards, and the Lord does show us what is, what is best. Though we are all broken down, Jesus is here again, eschatologically, sacramentally. Jesus is here for all of us. Jesus is the cure. Jesus here physically in just a moment, in the sacrament, as medicine administered to you for your forgiveness and your brokenness to make you whole again. That is the kind of church that Jesus wants. That is the sort of community that Jesus wants. That is the sort of persons that Jesus wants. That is the body that Jesus wants here on earth, no matter what happened yesterday. Filled with his children, safe and sound, forgiven and made whole, one for another, and all together for Christ, doing his work all day long, every day. That is the church that Jesus Christ wants. In his holy name, amen.